Hello. Welcome to Syracuse Speaks, The View from the AHL, a Syracuse Crunch-centric podcast. I'm your host, Alex Ackerman. Let's get started. I am absolutely thrilled, everybody, to be welcoming back Lee Wright, who has taken over my old, old at this point in time, because it has been a while since I've been with Raw Charge, but it used to be my beat over there. And uh, we are thrilled. I am thrilled to welcome him back to the podcast. Lee, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. Like, thank you for having me on. It's great to be back. Absolutely. Uh, I think I actually want to start out with the fact that you paid a trip to Syracuse's farm club um, this past week, last week at some point in time, and you saw a hockey game down in Orlando. What was that like? Uh, well, it was my first like in-person hockey game in what felt like forever. So it was fun. We got some pretty decent seats. We were sitting uh, where the the Solar Bears shot once. So we got to see the Utah, I don't even, the Grizzlies or whatever the Utah were called. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, it was fun. Uh, it was interesting seeing a different style of play. You know, having watched the AHL all year and, you know, being so familiar with the NHL speed of play it was definitely a heavier game. Interesting. It's it's funny because Orlando being so removed from Syracuse and and totally understandably, the solar bears tend to focus more on the lightning than they do on Syracuse. Sometimes it feels like the solar bears would prefer to be the lightning's farm team instead of actually being Syracuse's team. So it's always interesting to check in and see what they're up to and, and find out, you know, if the game is matching up because Syracuse really tries, I think in their systems and how they play to be a good match for the lightning, but the ECHL also faces a lot of unique challenges that the AHL just doesn't have. So it, it's fascinating to me to hear about how they handle those challenges and, and within the organizational structure, how that looks. It's very insular. They're very insular. Like, I don't, it's interesting your perspective on how they try to be more of like a lightning, uh, you know, I don't know, organization as opposed to like helping the crunch and like cutting out the crunch as a middleman. Because like, I see them on an island, you know, like they, they do have a few prospects, lightning prospects in their system. But for the most part, I was uh, right before jumping on with you, I was kind of looking to see how often they played they don't play that much mm, you know they yeah. they kind of have like they kind of stick to the old grizzled veterans and the journeymen within the league um but Garrett Sparks is back on the team as a goalie so that's cool they have a little bit more consistency in that now I think okay yeah he's Sparks is quite the journeyman he's been around he was was he with the Toronto organization for a long time am I remembering that correctly absolutely yeah he was in net with Toronto um yeah, and he spent some time in Orlando before, and so he's he's been bouncing around, but, you know, he's a solid veteran in net, and, you know, the other guy, I'm blanking on his name, uh, that's who I saw in net, was the, the other player that's kind of, I think they kind of picked up just to kind of fill the hole for LaFontaine as yes. he jumped back okay. and forth between Syracuse and Orlando, but he did not look the as confident in net, and so I think you know, it's it's interesting the struggle of a minor league hockey team. Uh, you know, they have so many people coming and going, and they they lack the consistent. They they still get the the lack of consistency from injuries and from you know consistent play and things like that. But now you factor in 
there are, oh yeah, there are these other teams that need, might need help at some time and they're going to fill, you know, they have to figure out ways to fill holes. So uh, yeah, no, it's just so interesting how creative they are getting in like the roster management transactions. And isn't there something to ECHL squads don't carry a full forward contingent, right? Like they don't ever have a full four lines of forwards on their teams. Is that correct? Uh, I definitely noticed that when I was like preparing for going to the game and I was looking at the projected lineup, they only showed three lines and that's, okay. that's bonkers to me because yeah. I'm so used to it. Uh, seeing, uh, you know, the full four lines are, you know, the 11, seven, but no, yeah, you're absolutely right there. They do not run a full 22 man roster or 22 man team. Yeah. I, uh, AHL fans often get a lot of credit for dealing with the inconsistencies and the up and down and the adjustments that have to be made. But honestly, I think ECHL fans deserve more credit than anybody because the amount of stuff that they just have to put up with and trying to put together any kind of quality when you're really, you must feel like you're just getting the leftovers sometimes. Like you mentioned the, the fill in goalie that is because LaFontaine is sort of bouncing back and forth and then they have Garrett Sparks and then they have rando guy number three who God knows where he's from and he's here now, but he's only going to be here for a week or two and then he's gone again. And AHL rosters, thankfully, don't usually have that level of fill in people. Usually there are, there's somebody in the organization that can be called upon. And if there's not, there's still somebody of like quality out there. ECHL. Oh boy. (laughs) Right. And, and they, they don't get paid as much. A lot of them aren't on professional deals. So they're not making six figures a year to play the sport that they love. They're doing it on pure love. And I'm sure many of them have side gigs. And as a teacher, I can appreciate that because, you know, we don't get paid enough. And a lot of us have side gigs and, uh, you know, we do what we do because we love it. And so I'm sure that factors into the, you know, strength of play as well. I would imagine that that possibility, much like with AHL players, the possibility of getting their NHL call up is, is motivating. But I feel like with ECHL, there's that extra motivation there because they know that they can make a living playing hockey in the American hockey league, where in the ECHL, as you just said, that's just not possible. Did you see anybody when you watch? And I know like, obviously your views of the solar bears are limited and I totally like get that, but did you see anyone that maybe you're thinking might be able to come up if Syracuse needs some help or, you know, is seems ready to make that jump almost immediately? So I was really looking forward to seeing Jaden Duro play because, you know, it's so funny. My view of the ECHL, my view of the solar bears is limited yet. I, I live basically right outside of Orlando. So, but yeah, no, seeing Jaden Duroux, uh was like super exciting, but he didn't show up that day. The next day he showed up on the stat sheet and scored. And so Jaden Duro is that player that I feel like is a bubble AHLer. And the thing that he needs to figure out is how can he manage his game with the size of player he is? Because he's coming in at 5'11", 170, which is, you know, decent, like, height-wise, but he doesn't have a lot of weight on him. And he gets easily pushed off of pucks. Mm -hmm. And then the ECHL, I mentioned, it is a heavier game, meaning it's a slower game 
So like a player like Jaden DeRoe can really, you know, show off his speed, but he's going to get hit more and he's going to have to figure a way to battle through some pucks and, you know, get out of corners with pucks and win those puck battles. So I was looking forward to seeing Jaden DeRoe and uh, Tyson Feist is another player I was really looking forward to, to seeing, but honestly, nobody really like stood out for me. It was, it was more or less the journeyman's. They were playing more of a grinding style game and they were really playing more of like a physical, you know, get in the face of the goalie kind of game. And uh, yeah, no, like in person, it's, it's really hard <laughs> to like, you know, see the players numbers and, and figure out who's, who's in charge of the play and who's got, you know, the puck possession kind of thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I can totally imagine. I mean, even with Syracuse this year, there have been, this is probably the season other than the season where there weren't fans in Syracuse, where I have just missed the most amount of games just because life has been more complicated this year for me than it ever has been before. So, you know, whenever I always have people teasing me at the games, like, oh, you too good for us now? Like, where have you been? And it's just hard. And I even feel some of that, you know, I step in and I forget that like Philip Myers is on the team now and that new kid, that, that Walker guy that they just got out of, what was it? The university of Waterloo, I believe. Yeah. I, it still throws me some time being like, wait, who, who the heck is that? What's go, who is this person? So I can only imagine what it's like when you're stepping into a team that you don't see that often. There's some familiarity there because they are in the organization, but you're just trying to figure it out as you go. And that's absolutely challenging. I know. And I was um, texting with uh, Tracy Lake of uh, Raw Charge, who who does follow the Solar Bears. And I was uh, asking her so many questions about like, who is this player? Who's this journeyman player? Who's this Olsen guy? And because, you know, they were, you could tell they were a really big part of the game. They were the ones that were kind of dictating whether or not the Solar Bears were going to get back in the game or how they were going to push their play kind of thing, because they were pushing people around, you know? So it's a, you're right. It's so interesting. And, and I have to say, like you mentioned how often you go to games, like, I don't know how you do it. Cause I, I was, I'm a former season ticket holder of the lightning and I, I did have really good seats, a bird's eye view of the game. And so it was easier to follow the games, but I was in a corner and I know that you sit in a corner. Right. And so yeah, I don't know how you follow the game. Like, <laughs> I don't know how you're, cause I'm distracted. I'm looking up at the, you know, the jumbotron and, you know, so kudos to being able to follow the game live because I much prefer following the team from the comfort of my home and being able to pause the game here and come back in when I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, to be, to be fair that there is a lot more going on in a Male arena than there ever is at the Onondaga County war Memorial, no offense to my second home or anything, but a arena is a little bit of a different um, situation than the war memorial so there's a little bit less to pay attention to in Syracuse just because there's you know less places to to look and see things and there's no Tesla coils going off in the rooftops and those right, right, things. Right. So it is a little uh, bit easier and I'm sure I'm sure the budget is a little bit more for like a Tampa Bay team but uh yeah I could definitely see the ebbs and flows of uh, like the in-game arena entertainment, but I think they do a really good job. I, I do pay attention between the pucks to see the stuff that they do and like tossing out Twinkies in the crowd. Like I thought that was hilarious the other night. They were, I don't know if you knew that they were tossing Twinkies 
I, I love stuff like that. I think it's so it gives the team so much credit, character, and kudos to the Syracuse in-game entertainment because the stuff that they do, like I'm lost a lot of times because like uh, I was, we were talking about the who's the guy that they always play an homage to, Ralphie. and they do like, yes, I love that. I as an <laughs> outsider, somebody that's living in Florida, I have no idea who this person is, but I see him at every game standing up, and he's. He gives, he curtsies to the crowd. He gives a bow, ceremonial bow to the crowd. And yeah, no, that brings so much character to the town. And I I know a little bit more about Syracuse's personality because of that. And uh, yeah, I don't know names of in-game personalities or like who the the in-game MC is, but he does a really good job of like keeping the crowd entertained and engaged. And, you know, unlike other AHL teams, uh, you know, the War Memorial is always fill there's always full they do a good job of putting people in the seats and you know the on ice um product is you know it's about a 500 product like they're good they're competitive and you never know what you're going to get from game to game but you know i'm going to bring it back to the game they did just get their first win in how long about a month month and a half in front of the home team so and and they've been filling that barn every night so Mm -hmm you know, the intangibles of the in-game entertainment and, and you know, how they get back to their community. It's it's really showing just in pe- putting bodies in the seats. Yeah, I was late to the game Saturday night, which right now it's last night when this comes out at Field Pass Hockey. It'll be two nights ago, just because we have we have things going on down at my school that I was needed to, to help um, figure out for the upcoming week. And I so I got there, it was about right about seven o'clock, so right at puck drop. And I was very surprised at how many people were still trying to get into the building, even though it was right at puck drop. The the parking garage was backed up. There were people still coming on in, like security was still kind of backed up. So I was very impressed. You know, Hartford usually draws a crowd just because they're the Rangers farm team. So Rangers fans come out and that's always great too, just to get the local crowd. But I was very impressed considering, as you said, Syracuse just won a game at home for the first time in about a month, month and a half Friday night against Wilkes-Barre. So I was very impressed at how full the building was last night with a non-divisional opponent, even with that local connection of the Rangers, it was still really impressive. And and I don't know the infrastructure of Syracuse that well. So you're going to have to pardon my, my naivete on that, but in terms of like the weather, it's beautiful here in Florida. No, sorry. I'm not trying to rub it in or anything, <laughs> but I mean, it's like 80 degrees, blue skies, hasn't rained in forever. This is like the perfect time to be a Floridian. And I'm just looking at the weather up North and, and like, I've, I've gone to a hockey game once in the past you know month. And I've already told you, like I'm within like 20 miles of the arena of the solar bears. Um, so just the fact that like Syracuse is filling the barn and, with the weather the way that it is and all of that like they have a great community for hockey there and uh I'm grateful that the organization is giving back to that community yeah the level of community work I think that the AHL in general makes sure to engage in but Syracuse in particular especially when it comes to months like this like Black History Month and months that tend to speak to some of those marginalized communities that maybe hockey hasn't always been kind to and hasn't always recognized. And 
needs to start doing. I know that diversity has been a big conversation in the both leagues in the AHL and the NHL with some things happening on the NHL side that maybe we're not too proud of, but you know, I've really been proud, honestly, ever since the team, how the team handled COVID and then how they've rebounded with keeping in mind the communities that COVID affected the most and the small businesses that COVID affected the most and, and giving back to all of these various things that they really weren't able to give back to for a season and a half because of everything that was going on with the pandemic. It's almost like they've doubled down instead of like backing away and being like, okay, we need to become insular. We need to take care of ourselves for a little bit. No, instead the crunch has just been like, screw that. We have a community to support and we need to get out there and start doing that again. And we need to do it even better, better and bigger than we did prior to COVID. And they're really bringing a focus on the humanity back to the game, like putting their players' personalities on display. The social media for the crunch, like I know I, I mentioned this the other day on Twitter, they're phenomenal. And like, I can imagine, you know, what their budget is like. And they're on Instagram and, and they're posting amazing updates, like live in-game updates. And it's of the NHL caliber, you know, where you can see, like, if you're not at the game, you can see like a replay of the goal that was just scored like a few minutes ago. And, you know, their Twitter engagement is really solid. And I appreciate the banter between teams. It can get a little nasty, but uh, it's, you know, it's it's about the character of the teams and showing that the teams are really, truly care about the on-ice product. We've talked a lot about what you've seen just, you know, through through your television on your couch. So Scott Thomas, the team's photographer that also works with Raw Charge, would like to know when you're going to be hauling your cookies up here to Syracuse to see a hockey game. Oh, you know, I would love that. That would be great. Uh, our like spring break and summer, I think, is like the only time that I really have to like really plan something, plan out something like that. So I think that's going to have to be a next year uh, event for sure. And I'm, I'm, I love this team. Like I love following this team. I love all of the players on this team. Like they care so much about the, like you know, we've already talked about the community, how much they care about Syracuse. And I feel like I'm even more invested in because of, you know, their engagement in the community. So, yeah, I definitely want to get up there. I love that area of Western New York. Like, I think it's beautiful uh, in the summertime when I've seen it. <laughs> I have actually never seen it in the winter. So, uh, but when I, yeah, when I've seen it, I've loved, loved it. The people have been great. You know, I know that the South gets a lot of love for, you know, their hospitality. But when we were up in Buffalo a couple of years ago, like, I felt like, you know, everybody was so nice and, and welcoming. And so definitely next year. All right. I, I'll hold you to that. And obviously you let me know and I will make sure to, to hook you up with whatever you need. So hopefully we can make that happen. Uh, speaking of this team. So, boy. Uh, you know, as you said, they're about a 500 level team and they are still very competitive in the North division when it comes to the playoff race. I'm not as sure if, if they were in the Atlantic division, that just seems to be really, really tough this year. I mean, Hartford came into the war Memorial last night and exposed a lot of the weaknesses and mistakes that Syracuse can be prone to making, especially this season in particular. And Hartford 
is points wise right around where Syracuse is, but standings wise is lower just because the Atlantic division is, is so insanely close and competitive this year. Syracuse goes into Toronto today uh, with a four, five and one previous 10 record. What do you think? And obviously for my Monday listeners, this game has already happened, but uh, Lee, what do you think the crunch is going to be looking to do as they go into a competitive Toronto you know, Toronto team this afternoon. So I think um, one of the assistant coaches gave it away and I'm blanking on his name, but after the game against Wilkes Bar, he said they finally got back to Syracuse crunch hockey. And I, you know, for the past couple of weeks, I have been thinking they've been lacking discipline. Like they've just been taking silly penalties and, um, that's really been hurting them because their penalty kill is not the greatest. They're middle of the pack in the league. I think I looked, they're the 18th in the entire league in penalty kill. And it's not terrible, but it's not, you know, going to win them any games if they take a lot of penalties. Yep. And as the most penalized team in the entire conference, that's problematic. (laughs) Right. And so that's kind of where my focus was going into our conversation is that I was looking at, okay, let's let's break that down because like clearly they're having discipline issues. But like, what does that look like numbers wise? Um, so in their last 11 games, I say 11 because I included last night's game. Um, you know, shots on goal against, they don't really, it doesn't really phase them. When they have more than 25 shots on goal against them, they're a four and three team. They're a 500 team. When they have less than 25 shots on goal, they were one and three. But the big factor is whenever they have um, – when they whenever they average more than five penalty minutes a game, they are losing. Like those – that's that's when they're losing. So, uh, you know, when they are under 25 shots against a game, it's when the team is taking more than three, three penalties and their time shorthanded is, is three that's when they're losing. Cause that's when they're taking a bulk of their, their shots against like when they're suppressing shots and they're doing a good job of suppressing shots, keeping teams under 25 shots a game. It's when they are lacking discipline that teams are scoring on them. They're scoring on the power play. So I think it's staying out of the box and um, you know, the big player kind of the thing that we've been avoiding, I feel like, is Jamel Smith. Like, what is Jamel Smith? How does he factor into all of this? And Jamel Smith is like the top five penalty taker in the entire league. He's over a hundred minutes of penalty minutes. And there are only eight players in the entire NHL with over a hundred minutes penalty minutes. I know I'm not saying that's why they decided to loan him to Henderson, but the next big penalty taker of the crunch is Sean Element with 75. And he's a fighter. And then below him is Daniel Walkout with 71. And he's also a fighter. So the next player with the most penalty minutes is ABB, Barry Boulay with 50. So that's a big disparity. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. And Jamel Smith is a good player. He's a player you want to have on the ice. So, and I mean, not, you know, I'm not taking anything away of element or Walkout because they have their roles you know, and they have to sometimes flex some muscle. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's just staying out of the box and, and making sure that the people that you want on the ice, the Barre Boulets, the, you know, Gabriel Dumont's, the people that are going to be your penalty killer are also out of the box. So being disciplined to answer yeah. your question. That is a very interesting look that I just with, with the back and forth and everything I've personally been doing, I hadn't really considered because one of the things that frustrates me the most is when it seems like the team hasn't been playing hockey for two periods. And then with 15 minutes left in the third, finally decides to play hockey. But now I'm, I'm pondering whether that has more to do with like, quote unquote, playing hockey just means that they're staying out of the box. So they're able to maintain that momentum, which seems to be really important to this group for whatever reason, the adrenaline rushes and the momentum really seem to result in more consistency for this group than the back and forth stoppages in play, take a penalty, go sit down, change the teams up, do the penalty kill, send them out there, whatever. And, and sometimes I wonder if when it looks like all of a sudden this team is playing hockey, what they're really just doing is not taking penalties and buckling it down because they have 15 minutes left now to win this game and they know they have to do something to fix it. Yeah, I think that's a really big point, uh, part of them winning games too. Uh, that's a really good point that penalties do kind of stop the game. They stop the game flow and uh, this is a team that thrives on that pace of play. They need to be going up and down the ice with, I, I think it's interesting. I do think that Syracuse's best games against an Atlantic opponent has been against the Penguins, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton team, because I feel like that team kind of mirrors how Syracuse wants to play. Mm-hmm. They want to play like a fast game. They want to kind of take the puck up the ice take a few shots in the zone and then, you know, buckle down and get the puck out of their zone and push the pace of play and and go right back up the ice really quickly. Um, And and those were close games, you know, like I think both games, the crunch one against uh, the Penguins were both three, two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but yeah, no, like I think it's about keeping that pace of play. It's about staying out of the box um, not freezing the puck, not freezing the game at all, and and just keeping the pace of play. Because when it comes to shots against, they had 51 shots against uh, from the the Providence Bruins the other game, and that was when was it Allnefelt and that had a shutout, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they they won that game. I mean, uh, they take a lot of shots against and a lot of their wins, and they're fine. It's about not giving up quality chances, not getting up chances on the penalty kill. Not so not giving up chances, not being in the box. So just being disciplined, uh keeping that pace of play going, I think has been really helpful to the crunches game. I'm still pondering your comment too about Smith and you know the 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 speculation is is out there. You and I did a fair amount just to try to figure make sense of the move because in general, loaning one of your team's top players to another team, you know, they kept them out of the conference, which was great. But like, that's sort of a sticky thing to do in the American Hockey League. Anaheim did that when we were when Syracuse was affiliated with them way back when, and 
uh, I have never heard such pointed words out of Syracuse owner, Howard Dolgan. This though seemed to have a little bit of a different jive to it. And it's really interesting that you brought up the fact that he, even though he had all of the talent and was really a valuable player in that aspect, couldn't really utilize that talent because he was in the box so much and players like Sean element and Daniel Walcott, they are supposed to bring that element. They're supposed to be the ones that get the crowd going and get the team going and maybe take some of those not so smart penalties, but they take them at smart places because they know what it'll do where Smith, he was more valuable on the ice than playing that type of role. So I can't help but wonder if that did have something to do with the, the change of scenery and, and maybe getting him away too from some of those teams that Syracuse plays an awful lot and do tend to get under your skin more often than not as a hockey player. Yeah, developmentally, I think that's a really good point that he probably needed that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I love Jamel Smith. Like as a Lightning fan, I, I've always thought, he was a player that could have easily have been playing on the bottom six of the lightning mm-hmm. and been flourishing. Mm-hmm. He's fast. He's physical. He's aggressive. He can fight. He's kind of a middleweight, but he was also really smart. And, um, I, and I'm not saying he hasn't been smart this season. It's just, I think teams found something in him where they could poke and prod him the right way. I go back to the, the first series against the Providence Bruins, the one with the, you know, the suspension game with LaFontaine and at the end with Jamel Smith, where he also was suspended. Uh, And that stemmed from a previous game where the Bruins were cross-checking Jamel Smith in the back in front of the net and the refs weren't calling it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if the crunch were out of the game or what the game was like, but, you know, officiating wasn't doing their job. So, Jamel Smith took things into his own hands and retaliated. And I don't blame players for that because, you know, they've got careers. They've got, it's their personal livelihood they have to think about. But on the other hand, you also have to think about your team and how are you can, how is that contributing to helping your team win? You know, and I don't know if taking a suspension worthy penalty against a team that you don't see very often is sending a message you know that's not helping your team in the long run and so I don't know what's going on with Jamel Smith personally I hope he's well because I know he does have a history of mental health issues and you know the the irony of this whole discussion of him being in the box alone away from his team and not being a team player is that you know a lot of those battles that we have to do, you know, ment- with mental health, we tend to do personally, you know, we tend to keep them insular and we don't talk about them often. So I hope he is talking about it, whatever's going on. And I hope it sounds like he's flourishing on the ice in Henderson. He immediately went over there and was on the stat sheet. So kudos to him. And I hope change of scenery does him well. Yeah. Maybe getting out and getting some sun. Cause I will admit, I mean, if I had to be, if I had to pick a place to be banished to coming from Syracuse, um, Henderson's not a bad choice. (laughs) 
It's a dry heat too. Yeah, right. You have to deal with the humidity of it all. That's what they always say too, right? It's not it's not the heat, it's the humidity. So like going out there, you know, I imagine I spent some time in Phoenix, Arizona when I was in high school in December and it was very hot, but it really it was a dry heat similar to what I imagine Henderson experiences and you know, leaving the uh, the depths of winter in Syracuse, New York to go out to Henderson, it's not such a bad change of scenery, I have to admit. <laughs> But I have a question for you. Do you ever foresee Smith coming back in a crunch uniform? No, I have. I mean, just looking at the sheer history of these types of loans, generally, they don't ever make it back. Usually this is a very convenient and quiet way to just say, we need this problem fixed and this is the easiest way to be able to do it. So we're going to shift this over here and hope that it improves the situation for everybody involved. And I echo what you said that I very much hope that whatever is going on, if there is something going on that it's being attended to and that this change in scenery and a little bit of extra vitamin D out towards that way, will hopefully make a difference. But I honestly do not see him ever returning. Um, I don't know. Was he, and you might even know it before I can find it. What was his contract? Okay, so he's a UFA this this upcoming off season. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that this is just a way to, for the remainder of the season, you know, go someplace else. And then that, that will be it. He'll be a, an unrestricted free agent this upcoming summer and be free to pursue a contract with a different organization. Yeah. Hopefully it's a way to showcase his talents and get a lot of those teams out West that do not have a chance to see, you know, Eastern teams play, give them a chance to see a, a veteran, somebody that can score and somebody that could contribute because mm-hmm. he's a, he's a heavy player. Like he's a player that could easily be playing on the bottom six of an NHL team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why the lightning, re- you know, reclaimed him off of waivers. They wanted him back in the organization. They wanted him available. And I do wonder if that availability, because obviously the, the loaning situation means that he could still technically be recalled to the lightning if the lightning need him. So I find it surprising that they couldn't find like a one for one trade with somebody. Instead, they chose to do a loan. So I can't help but wonder if they want to keep that bottom six availability in the organization, because like we all know, Alex Barry Boulay is rightfully so should be in line for a call up, but he's not going to flourish in that bottom six role. That's one of the reasons why he probably hasn't been able to make a footprint with the lightning yet, because he hasn't had the opportunity to play anything else other than those lower roles in call up situations. That's what you get. So I can't help, but wonder if that's why they did it this way so that they could still recall him if they feel like that might be necessary and that's their best option. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I don't see any I don't really see anyone else in terms of depth being able to fulfill a role that he would be able to play in a bottom six from the crunch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dumont's on an AHL contract, right? Yes, he is. You may not have him. <laughs> 
So, so there you go. Uh, that would be the number one person that I, as a Lightning fan, I would be like, yes, please call Dumont up. Bottom six veteran, great leader, has all of the intangibles that a Lightning uh, dressing room would love. But he's great in Syracuse, so he's an, a tremendous leader. Ever since that, you told me uh, he, he, the team looks better or the team looks different on the ice when he's playing. It just shows. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not even that they're – it's not just – because this is a tenacious team from the very very first game of the season. They've always never been out of games, like never count out this team. But, like, games are so much closer with him. Like, there aren't very many games that get out of hand, and I think that's a testament to the the leadership in that room, mm-hmm. starting with him, Dumont. Mm-hmm. The teams that historically do very well in Syracuse have that really strongly established leadership core. And I think that that's definitely one of the crunch's strengths. You know, we have Dumont, Syracuse has Walcott, Syracuse has um, Darren Radish, who, you know, at, at 26 is is really considered more of a veterans figure. Trevor Carrick was added during the off season. I think he's been a very big addition to what is a relatively young blue line. You know, the average age of Syracuse's blue line is not quite 24. So for the AHL, it's not the youngest blue line I've ever seen, but for an AHL team, uh, you know, that's also not the oldest blue line I've ever seen either. So the addition of the, of the 28 year old, um, Carrick, I think has made a difference. You know, I think that it's, you have to lean on those players in the American hockey league, you know, not to mention my fellow elder millennial, uh, Pierre Cedric Labrie, who's the closest player in age to me that I will probably ever see in the American hockey league at this point in time. Uh, those guys are the guys that are going to help those games stay close. And they're going to be the guys that are going to rally. And they're going to be the guys that are going to do the example setting that the American hockey league really needs in their dressing rooms. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about that in terms of like the ages of players, because you do have those kids coming out of juniors that are kids, but then you have these college players that like aren't quite kids. I'm thinking of like Declan Carlisle, right? He's an NCAA player, mm-hmm. came from college, and he's not quite a kid, but he is a rookie and uh, professionally, you know? So, yeah, no, it's so interesting to think about that in terms of like the elder. Oh my gosh. Elder players in their late twenties. Right. Those are the elder players. (laughs) Um, Speaking, we just got done talking about Jamel Smith and you mentioned PC Labrie. It sounds like Labrie is out with an injury. And I think, I mean, I don't know for sure. I don't have proof. It sounds I just from what I've heard people say, sounds like he could be out. He hasn't played in a while. I think I may have misread the Daniel Walker signing. I thought Daniel Walker might be like a diamond in the rough kind of future prospects, top six player for Syracuse, but I don't think that's his role, especially mm. after watching last night's game. Yeah, he. Uh, that's the first throw the gloves off and actually put on a show fight that Crunch fans have had in a very long time that was uh 
very much of the AHL of old um, to see Walker and, and whomever he fought from Hartford, they, they threw the gloves off and, and sort of did the circle thing. And I mean, I feel like, gosh, we haven't seen that level of, you know, they, I guess it's a staged fight. That's sort of what they call it, but of fighting since, man, I don't even know just because that's not generally what we see in the lightning organization, you know, for better or for worse. Um, and that was technically his second fight. And so that was the second period in the first period. Mm-hmm. He had a, a little bit of a scuffle after he took a penalty for boarding, uh, you know, a Hartford player. And so I see that second fight as a, uh, Hey, I'm a new guy. I'm young but you want to you want to fight like i'm going to answer the bell mm-hmm. because i'm going to answer to that hit in the first period i want to talk about that first period fight because the shift prior uh, i don't know if you saw this or if you noticed this uh alex barry boulet was on the ice and he took a hit where like the hartford player had hit him up against the boards and kind of wrapped him up and it was it was a penalty that went uncalled let's you know, we talk about the discipline of Syracuse and how Syracuse takes so many penalties. Let's not talk about how, or let's definitely talk about also how officials haven't been the greatest in a lot of Syracuse games. So, you know, once again, the officials aren't doing their job. And the very next shift, Daniel Walker lets Hartford know that, you know, he saw that and you aren't going to take liberties with Syracuse's best player. And I appreciate that, you know, he's a young kid, but he knows his role on the team. And as soon as he did that, I went, oh, he's not here to sit in front of the net and score goals. I'm sure he will do that for sure. He's a big body. It's hard not to miss him on the ice, but he's here to, for protection. Mm -hmm. He's here to play that role of, oh, Mason Geertsen, you're not going to push our players around anymore. You know, in the, you know, I know Mason Geertsen's a, He's a Utica player, right? Uh, la- was, you're still referencing last night? No, 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 no. Mason Geertsen, the I'm thinking oh. of the Utica player that likes to bully crunch players. I, I can't get this kid out of my brain. He's totally living rent-free there as a fan of the crunch <laughs> because he does. Like, he's he's such a snotty player. He's, like, a big heavyweight, but also – you can tell he's in the middle of every scrum every time the every time crunch plays Utica mm-hmm. he's like he's a good he's good at his job and uh so I see Daniel Walker as Mason Geertsen insurance okay. <laughs> for lack of a better term and um I totally got that one wrong when I was looking at you know his time in water University of Waterloo and you know he was the leading goal scorer there and leading points there but yeah, no, he's he's there for muscle. He's a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. He's a big guy. Yeah, well, the, the, don't want to mess with crunch players. Yeah, well, and the signings were so close together that, or the 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 tra- the loan and the signing was so close together that it was hard not to correlate the two, even if there really wasn't a correlation there. But I, I guess I hadn't realized until you brought it up that Labrie hasn't played since January twentieth. So that is definitely a suspiciously long absence for a healthy player. I I don't think that even if they had to juggle the veteran rule 
in the AHL where, you know, you can only dress a certain number of, of quote unquote veteran players, um, in the league because de- development or something, I don't know. It's one of those things that I disagree with, but we don't need to get into that right now. Even with having to juggle that veteran rule, there's no way that they're going to have Labrie sitting for a month and a week. There's just not, unless there's something, you know, unless he's hurt, unless there's something going on there. So I honestly think that you're probably on to something that this is more of a reaction to something going on with, with Labrie. And it would be great if we didn't have to speculate, if we just had someone come out and say, yep, Labrie's out for the season or out indefinitely or day to day or any hockey term that you could think of. But unfortunately this is the American hockey league and we're not that lucky. Right. And you don't want to broad broadcast to the world that your enforcer and your veteran leader is going to be out either. So I'm sure that's news that the crunch would absolutely love to keep under wraps, but it was something I noticed a crunch fan mention mm-hmm. in a board somewhere and it definitely came onto my radar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I could tell last night after Walker's first fight, you know, and the Syracuse crowd, it's still very much a blue collar city. It's still very much a fan base that remembers the glory days of, you know, the, the John Morastis and the Brandon Sugdens and, and, all of these AHL heavyweights that are just written in the lore of crunch history. And I could tell after Walker's first fight Saturday night, the way he heard the crowd react, I could tell by the look on his face. Cause I sit near the penalty box for Syracuse. He wanted to hear that crowd reaction again. So I'm not entirely surprised, especially with the way he showboated just a little bit after that second fight, he gestured to the crowd to get louder. Uh, I am not surprised at all that he went and found a much bigger fight to undertake because he really liked the reaction of, of the crowd Saturday night to that first fight. He definitely did a, are you not entertains gladiator gesture? I thought that was great. It, and and I'm not a fan I'm not a huge, like, I love the game of hockey, but when it comes to fighting, it's not my favorite aspect of the game. But I do see a need for it when officials let games get out of hand and they don't call it correctly. And I've seen a few of those games with the crunch, so he will definitely fit in nicely with that when other teams take liberties, the crunch players. Which is going to be, you know, potentially an issue that Syracuse is going to face. Syracuse has a really long March schedule. They have 13 games during the month of March, which is the most out of the entire season. It's good to sort of be back to normal because March has traditionally been a very heavy month for Syracuse. I think that Dolgan likes the schedule to be second half heavy because it really ups the the ante of the the, the race to the playoffs and, and the final sprint at the end of the season. So as we look at Syracuse's March schedule, they face Cleveland, Lehigh Valley, Utica, Laval, Rochester, Providence, Bridgeport, Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, Rochester, Utica, Hershey, Utica, and Belleville. So it's a wide variety of opponents throughout the month of March, which is a little surprising to me that it was 
spread out this much with having a lot of Atlantic division teams. And then, you know, your, your usual Utica 17,000 times and whatever, but (laughs) Syracuse isn't really going to be able to get into like a groove by facing any one of these teams more than two or three times throughout this 13 game slate. So pick out a couple of like banner games that you might be looking at where Syracuse really has to go out and make a statement that, yeah, we're, we're a playoff team and we're here to stay. And this is who we're going to prove it against. I think the way that Syracuse has played Utica this year, Utica being a a team that's not going to put up a lot of goals, but a more defensive style system that has really great goaltending. I think the way that they've been playing Utica is the way they're going to want to play going into the playoffs. The reason I say that is I, I mentioned already that I liked the way that they played against uh, the Penguins, Wilkes-Barre Scranton, because um, they were close games. I feel like when you get in a series where you're seeing the same team over and over again, the games are going to be closer than not. They're going to be a little tighter. So playing those games against Utica, who is already going to be a rival that you can look forward to seeing in the playoffs, should both teams make the playoffs. Um, that's going to be something that I would really want to pay close attention to. Belleville is another team like that too. You mentioned Belleville. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, I think it actually benefits and behooves the crunch to have such a variety and not get to play that same team over and over again, because they do get to put their system up against different styles of, of like teams. And so rather than playing Utica four games straight going into the playoffs and then having the maybe play them again the first round. Um, you're playing a lot of different style teams, so you can focus more on your game and your system and doing the right things that you can control on the ice. And then once the playoffs start, then you can game plan for the other team's system, the other team's game. Mm-hmm. Which will contrast with Syracuse's April, which only has a handful of games as the season ends in the middle of April. But Syracuse, out of those handful of games, will play Utica three times, Laval twice, Rochester twice, and then a random game against Wilkes-Barre Scranton. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, as per usual, uh, Syracuse's April is very uh, North Division heavy as those playoff matchups really start coming into view. But I like the idea that it could really benefit Syracuse to play that many different teams in March as they're really refining and trying to figure things out. Now, the big question is NHL trade deadline is coming up. Do you foresee any major adjustments to Syracuse's roster either because the lightning did something or because, you know, Syracuse ended up benefiting in some way from something the lightning did for them? I'm so grateful that you brought this up. Um, the East in the NHL is such an arms race. Like every team in an Eastern playoff picture is loading up. And as you know, the crunch played hard for last night. I'm thinking of like the deals that the Rangers are about to make, you know, potentially this weekend. I'm thinking about the deals that Boston is making and the players they're willing to give up from their Providence team that has been so dominant so that Boston can make a run. Um, in terms of the crunch, I really see the lightning cap situation and their contract situation 
being more of a one for one. So if the crunch do lose a player, I'm thinking of like a Philip Meyer style player, which would help the lightning, which would help the big club because it would help give them some cap relief because Philip Myers is making some pretty good money. Um, then they would definitely need to bring in another defender to fill that spot. Please. Or, right. Or I know that, um, you know, we were asked, you know, who would be a lightning player that we could see going down to the crunch. The only player that really fits the bill that's currently on the lightning roster is Hayden Fleury, who's a defenseman, but he would have to pass through waivers. Mm. So I think in order for him to be able to pass through waivers, I think uh, Julian Breesbaugh, Stacey Roost would want to see where teams that would want to pick up a style player like Fleury where they're at in terms of their rosters mm-hmm. uh, before mm-hmm. sending him on waivers and before, you know, where they're at also to going into the playoffs, because it does hinge on, you know, where, who's on the lightning, you know, do they have an, did they bring in additional veteran defensemen because Hayden Flurry really isn't that veteran defenseman that the lightning need going mm-hmm. into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, the crunch lost a uh, Philip Myers kind of player who has been tearing it up in the AHL recently. He's been very hot since I called him out on the last time I was on your podcast. <laughs> I would, you know, I would also like to mention, I'm going to put this out there because I have like such a really great uh, power in bringing out the best in players that have been playing the worst. Uh, I had called out, um, Oh my gosh, I am blanking on his name. The NCAA player that started with the Lightning and then, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on his name? It's because he hasn't been scoring very many goals. Cole Kepke. Oh yeah. I yeah. called out Cole Kepke to a group of hockey analysts and said, this is a player that has been like a total flub going back to the crunch because last year he was lighting up the lamp and Ever since I said that, he has had five or six breakaways in like the past couple games, and he has had so many scoring opportunities. So you're welcome, Crunch Nation. Yeah. For me saying that. So, yeah, no, I think Rudolph Balsers is the move from the the Lightning to the Crunch. Interesting. Like I think that is the the equivalent of the Riley Nash move that we got last year. Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. the veteran player that honestly I don't see him I see him helping the crunch get into the playoffs but I don't know if he's on the roster come the playoffs I think he might get called up to the lightning as a you know as the lightning make the playoffs he might be like a depth forward for them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which stinks because you know I've I've listened to Ben Grew and I, I know that everybody has heard this he said about Riley Nash last year, the crunch were a 500 team and then Riley Nash joined the team and they were a really good team. Yeah. And I think that Rudolph Balsers has that kind of make or break play in him. He hasn't shown it quite yet. Mm-hmm. He's getting on the statue these past couple of games and he's playing on the top line, but he's a player that he's an NHL player playing in the AHL, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's tough in this league and I'm not sold on Syracuse being able to make a huge run this year in the playoffs. I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm just not, first of all, I don't think the goalies are healthy enough. 
this, this, this issue that both Syracuse's goalies have been battling, whatever they, whatever the, the each issues are, I'm sure it's not the same issue, but like each of them has been battling some pretty significant physical ailments this season. And I am not convinced that that alone, it, you know, that alone is going to play a pretty big part. Goaltending is pretty big in the AHL playoffs in particular. And I just don't see the health of those two really pushing Syracuse too deep this year. And, and I also don't see any North division team getting out of the Eastern conference final, to be honest with you, um, judging from what I've seen out of the Atlantic, but you know, if, if I had a penny for every time I was wrong <laughs> about this team and about the things that the lightning were going to do and what they're paying attention to, I would not be looking for a job at administration. I'd be sitting on a beach somewhere. So you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what the trade deadline brings and where this team goes from here on out. I'm curious if the game is on the line, if the season is on the line, they're in a do or die game. Who do you have in net if everyone's healthy and everyone's playing at the best of their ability from what you've seen? I, uh, if, if, ever, if we remove the health issues and, and everybody's good. I honestly would go more on the felt than legacy. And just because I feel like on the felt when he has had good games this year, he's been good, like impressive, good. And I feel like he is someone who really rises to the stress level of the situation. Um, and not that, that legacy doesn't, but like, when I think about even the tear that legacy went on at the end of last season and how he, he basically pulled the, the crunch kicking and screaming into the playoffs, whether they wanted to be there or not. Um, it, it required a lot of consistency with everybody involved where Alna felt like you've said, it doesn't matter if the shots coming at him or in the sixties, he doesn't care if he is on his game. And if he does what, and if he's healthy and he's there, he's a wall. And I've just been very impressed with the small jumps of development that we've seen in him this season. And I honestly think I'd lean more towards him at this point in time. Yeah. If he can get his game going more consistency and or consistently, and he can figure out, you know, whatever's going on with him physically, he's going to be a heck of an NHL goalie. But I've been really impressed with uh, Legacy's play. Like, I know he's been injured. You can tell just when he was laboring to get up from, you know, yeah. making a save. But he just, with without that in mind, he's so good at managing the games. You know, the other night, I think they won eight to five. I don't remember who it was against. And they didn't face very many shots on goal. And it seemed like five goals against. Wow, that's a lot. But he made so many great saves in that mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. And he really was the difference in a game that went eight to five and he's not going to make tremendous saves and, and make saves above his level of play, but he's going to make the saves when you need him to make the saves. Mm -hmm. And so I really like that. And I thought it was really good seeing him Friday night. Uh, there was a kind of like a squeaker of a puck that, you know, got out of the defensive zone and it was, you know, a race to the puck from the defense and he skated out of the blue paint and 
met the defender at the blue line to, to get to that puck first and then made a, a really clever pass to a crunch player. And I think that's really good. It's a really good um, thing to see in terms of his health. That yeah, he's willing, well, he's confident to be able to make that play. Well, and that's what I was you normally we don't get to talk about goalies being playmakers. That's just not their job. That's not what their skill set is. So, you know, that is kind of fun that that's a, a highlight that's that's out there and that and that people got to see him do. That's definitely that's definitely that's neat. And uh, you know, the crunch goalies, they're they are not a play the puck tandem they are uh please stay in the net and tend the goal you're a goaltender because you know they're nothing against their puck handling abilities but you know they are not the best they're not the strongest you know so that said it was still good to see him confident enough to make that move because in that moment he was the only thing stopping that player from having a, a breakaway and a goal and that could have you know changed the momentum of the game but mm-hmm. He skated out a net and just looked co- as confident as ever. All right. All right, Lee. Well, thank you so very much for coming on today. I don't want to take up any more of your day, but I really appreciate it. Uh, before we head out, why don't you just tell people where they can get in touch with you and, and where they can find your stuff? Absolutely. So I'm at Dangle Doppler on Twitter and at rawcharge.com. I have weekly recaps every Monday about the crunch games from the weekend, the previous week. All right. Well, thank you again. And I sure hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been such a pleasure. I think that will do it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm open to interactions and feedback, so please feel free to get touch with me over Twitter. My hockey Twitter is FPHCrunch, F-P-H-C-R-U-N-C-H, and my personal Twitter is Alovimo, A-L-L-O-V-I-M-O. My personal Twitter is protected, but if you want to send me a follow request and I can see that you're a hockey person, I would be more than happy to go ahead and add you over there. Before we go, I'd also like to thank Purple Planet Music and Kevin McLeod for providing the royalty-free music heard in this episode. Keep taking care of each other out there in Crunchland, and I will see you next time.